Chapter 25 of Katrina by Robert Louis Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Wayne Cook. Chapter 25 The Return of James Moore. I was called on the morrow out of a late and troubled slumber by a knocking on my door, ran to open it, and had almost swooned with the contrariety of my feelings, mostly painful for on the threshold in a rough raps rascal and an extraordinary big laced hat there stood james moore i ought to have been glad perhaps without admixture for there was a sense in which the man came like an answer to prayer i had been saying till my head was weary that katrina and i must separate and looking till my head ached for any possible means of separation here were the means come to me upon two legs, and joy was the hindmost of my thoughts. It is to be considered, however, that even if the weight of the future were lifted off me by the man's arrival, the present heaved up the more black and menacing, so that as I first stood before him in my shirt and breeches, I believe I took a leaping step backwards like a person shot. Ah, said he, I have found you, Mr. Balfour, and offered me his large, fine hand, the which, recovering at the same time my post in the doorway, as if with some thought of resistance, I took him by doubtfully. It is a remarkable circumstance how our affairs appear to intermingle, he continued. I am owing you an apology for an unfortunate intrusion upon yours which I suffered myself to be entrapped into by my confidence in that false face, Preston Grange. I think shame to own to you that I was ever trusting to a lawyer. He shrugged his shoulders with a very French air. But indeed the man is very plausible, says he, and now it seems that you have busied yourself handsomely in the matter of my daughter for whose direction i was remitted to yourself i think sir said i with a very painful air that it will be necessary that we two should have an explanation there is nothing amiss he asked my agent mr sprott for god's sake moderate your voice i cried she must not hear till we have had an explanation. She is in this place, cries he. That is her chamber door, said I. You are here with her alone, he asked. And who else would have got to stay with us, cries I. I will do him the justice to admit that he turned pale. This is very unusual, said he. This is a very unusual circumstance. You are right. We must hold an explanation. So saying, he passed me by, and I must own the tall rogue appeared at that moment extraordinarily dignified. He had now, for the first time, the view of my chamber, which I scanned, I may say, with his eyes. A bit of morning sun glinted in by the window-pane and showed it off my bed, my mails and washing-dish, with some disorder of my clothes, and the unlighted chimney, making the only plenishing. 
no mistake but it looked bare and cold and the most unsuitable beggarly place conceivable to harbor a young lady at the same time came in on my mind the recollection of the clothes that i had bought for her and i thought this contrast of poverty and prodigality bore an ill appearance he looked about the chamber for a seat and finding nothing else to its purpose except my bed took a place upon the side of it where after i had closed the door i could not very well avoid joining him for however this extraordinary interview might end it must pass if possible without waking katrina and the one thing needful was that we should sit close and talk low but i can scarce picture what a pair we made he in his great coat which the coldness of my chamber made extremely suitable i shivering in my shirt and breeks he with very much the air of a judge and i whatever i looked with very much the feelings of a man who has heard the last trumpet well says he and well i began but found myself unable to go further uh, you tell me she is here he said again but now with a spice of impatience that seemed to brace me up she is in this house said i and i knew the circumstance would be called unusual but you are to consider how very unusual the whole business was from the beginning here is a young lady landed on the coast of europe with two shillings and a penny halfpenny she is directed to yon man sprott and helvoet i hear you call him your agent all i can say is he could do nothing but damn and swear at the mere mention of your name and i must fee him out of my own pocket even to receive the custody of her effects you speak of unusual circumstances mr drummond if that be the name you prefer here was a circumstance if you like to which it was barbarity to have exposed her but uh, this is what i cannot understand the least said james my daughter was placed into the charge of some responsible persons uh, whose names i forgot gibby was the name said i and there is no doubt that mr gibby should have gone ashore with her at helvoet but he did not mr drummond and i think you might praise god that i was there to offer in his place i i shall have a word to say to mr gibby before long said he as for yourself i think it might have occurred that uh, you were somewhat young for such a post but the choice was not between me and somebody else it was between me and nobody cried i nobody offered in my place and i must say i think you show a very small degree of gratitude to me that did i shall wait until i understand my obligation a little more in the particular says he indeed and i think it stares you in the face then said i your child was deserted she was clean flung away in the midst of europe with scarce two shillings and not two words of any language spoken there i must say a bonny business i brought her to this place i gave her the name and the tenderness due to a sister all this has not gone without expense but that i scarce need to hint at 
They were services due to the young lady's character which I respect, and I think it would be a bonny business too if I was to be singing her praises to her father. You are a young man, he began. So I hear you tell me, said I with a good deal of heat. You are a very young man, he repeated, or you would have understood the significancy of the step. I think you speak very much at your ease, cried I. What else was I to do? It is a fact I might have hired some decent poor woman to be a third to us, and I declare I never thought of it until this moment. But where was I to find her, that am a foreigner myself? And let me point out to your observation, Mr. Drummond, that it would have cost me money out of my pocket. For here is just what it comes to that I had to pay through the nose for your neglect. And there is only the one story to it, just that you were so unloving and so careless as to have lost your daughter. He that lives in a glass house should not be casting stones, says he, and we will finish inquiring into the behavior of Miss Drummond before we go on to sit in judgment of her father. "'But I will be entrapped into no such attitude,' said I. "'The character of Miss Drummond is far beyond inquiry, as her father ought to know. "'So is mine, and I am telling you that. "'There are but the two ways of it open. "'The one is to express your thanks to me as one gentleman to another, and to say no more. "'The other, if you are so difficult as to be still dissatisfied, is to pay me.' that which I have expended, and be done. He seemed to soothe me with a hand in the air. There, there, said he, you go too fast, you go too fast, Mr. Balfour. It is a good thing that I have learned to be more patient, and I believe you forget that I have yet to see my daughter. I began to be a little relieved upon this speech, and a change in the man's manner that I spied in him as soon as the name of money fell between us. I was thinking it would be more fit, if you will excuse the plainness of my dressing in your presence, that I should go forth and leave you to encounter her alone, said I. What would I have looked for at your hands, says he, and there was no mistake, but he said it civilly. I thought this better and better still, and as I began to pull on my hose, recalling the man's impudent mendicity at Preston Grange's, I determined to pursue what seemed to be my victory. "'If you have any mind to stay some while in Leyden,' says I, "'this room is very much at your disposal, and I can easily find another for myself, in which way we shall have the least amount of flitting possible, there being only one to change.' "'Why, sir,' said he, making his bosom big. I think no shame of a poverty I have come by in the service of my king. I make no secret that my affairs are quite involved, and for the moment it would be even impossible for me to undertake a journey. Until you have occasion to communicate with your friends, said I, perhaps it might be convenient for you as, of course, it would be honorable to myself, if you were to regard yourself in the light of my guest. 
"'Sir,' said he, "'when an offer is frankly made, "'I think I honor myself most to imitate that frankness. "'Your hand, Mr. David. "'You have the character that I respect the most. "'You are one of those from whom a gentleman can take a favor, "'and no more words about it. "'I am an old soldier,' he went on, "'looking rather disgusted-like around my chamber.' and you need not fear i shall prove burdensome i have ate too often at a dikeside drank of the ditch and had no roof but the rain i should be telling you said i that our breakfasts are sent customarily in about this time of morning i propose i should go now to the tavern and bid them add a cover for yourself and delay the meal the matter of an hour which will give you an interval to meet your daughter in. Methought his nostrils wagged at this. Oh, an hour, says he. That is perhaps superfluous. Half an hour, Mr. David, or say twenty minutes. I shall do very well in that. And uh, by the way, he adds, detaining me by the coat, uh, what is it you drink in the morning, whether ale or wine? To be frank with you, sir, says I, I drink nothing else but spare cold water. Tut-tut, says he, that is fair destruction to the stomach. Take an old campaigner's word for it. Our country spirit at home is perhaps most entirely wholesome. But as it is not comatible, Rhenish or a white wine of Burgundy will be next best. I shall make it my business to see you are supplied, said I. "'Why, very good,' said he. "'And we shall make a man of you yet, Mr. David.' "'By this time I can hardly say that I was minding him at all, "'beyond an odd thought of the kind of father-in-law he was like to prove, "'and all my cares centered about the lass, his daughter, "'to whom I determined to convey some warning of her visitor. "'I stepped to the door accordingly.' and cried through the panels, knocking thereon at the same time, "'Miss Drummond, here is your father, come at last!' With that I went forth upon my errand, having, by two words, extraordinarily damaged my affairs. End of chapter 25